Welcome to the Coach Kenny podcast, where I interview other fitness professionals in the hopes that you as my audience get to take away some gems from each episode that I bring to you. If you'd like to see the video format of this podcast, then head over to my YouTube channel or Instagram TV at underscore Coach Kenny. Good morning and welcome to the chat with Coach Kenny. Uh, today we have a very special guest, Luke Hoffman from the Muscle Mentors. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Honoured to be here, so thank you for the invite. Nice. Um, and, and for any, anyone who might not know uh, who or what the Muscle Mentors is or does, um, just give, give like a, a brief little description of what you guys are about. So, yeah, so essentially we are um, a group of of educators in, and coaches within the fitness industry. Um, so it started off with my business partner and I, Cal, uh, Callum Raystrick, who a lot of people may know. Um, he's probably like the, what he's got the biggest following out of all of us. So I think he's uh, probably more recognizable. Um, but um, but the, um, yeah, so it started off with he and I, and it actually started off on a podcast, which is, uh, which is quite cool. Um, so I've got a lot of uh, a lot of time for podcasters. <laughs> and, um, Thanks, man. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so it's uh, so it started off like that, and then kind of just naturally evolved into kind of a joint coaching venture. And then once you know the 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 kind of educational approach that we had taken, and like the educational theme that was quite present across our podcast, um, uh, we we basically took that, and and because the demand seemed to be there. Um, started doing seminars and stuff and then and the goal was always for me to have some sort of online online resource where we can then you know teach people about the stuff we were we were covering on the podcast and the seminars which is essentially um you know the the, the kind of you know our mission statement so to speak is essentially to provide coaches and, and personal trainers in the fitness industry with the, like the I always call it the education they never had, but the one they absolutely need. So it's like covering all the areas that are actually relevant um, to they be. Don't, they don't necessarily get covered in in like yeah. their early training. Yeah, and things that you know are very, very much you know, or should be regarded as fundamental in my opinion and in our opinion. Um, so you know, and, and as it says, a big emphasis on exercise mechanics, um, like truly understanding what it, what hypertrophy is about, um, so we can kind of actually understand those mechanisms and build programs more efficiently around them um how they vary from individual to individual and then but the exercise mechanic stuff's key because obviously we we you know it's teaching people about forces and, and anatomy and how those two kind of come together and, and how individualized exercise needs to be and then obviously how you know we kind of make that easier for people to see because exercise mechanics is quite a overwhelming topic if you've never been exposed to it because it's very physics based um and uh, so we've, we essentially uh, try and simplify that for people. Um, and, um, and that seems to be going well. And then, and then also on the site, we've got areas that, you know, we also believe are pretty, um, pretty key, which, you know, focusing in on sleep and kind of what that is and um, what that's about, how to track that optimally, how that links in with, with body composition related goals. So obviously that's kind of who we're focusing on helping, you know, these coaches and, and trainers who are dealing with, with clients with, body compositional related goals so essentially applying those those concepts of or these these topics or, or um areas like exercise mechanics and 
and hypertrophy and sleep and digestion and female physiology, you know, all with a relatively heavy bias towards people trying to seek hypertrophy, um, which is, which is people, cool. People getting jacked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, the, you know, whatever our goals are really, um, and we say this quite a lot is, you know, pretty much everyone who goes to a gym, if you break down what their goals actually have to include, it will involve hypertrophy and, and they're always putting forces through their body in, in certain ways. So it pays to understand what those, you know, the resistance they're dealing with, like what's that got the capacity to do to the joint structures within them and how that will vary between individual and, and you know, how tolerance may vary and how we can't just give blanket, you know, generalized approaches and statements when we're, we're, when we're kind of prescribing exercise and designing programs, because it is a, essentially a recipe for disaster when it works for, you know, three, four out of 10, and then the other six get, you know, chronic pain off the back of, a badly executed or a badly delivered cue around a bench press or something you know so it's kind of understanding you know all that side of things um which is which is cool uh, it seems to be going well it's obviously relatively well received and i think in the last few years exercise mechanics has really blown up a bit because people have started to see the value in it and and there's you know it, it, people might not lump it in as being evidence-based but it's arguably as evidence-based as you could possibly get because of the fact that it's grounded in in maths and physics like it's almost impossible to argue with um you don't you don't really end up uh, mastering i mean really mastering the the, the art of coaching until you have a, a at least a basic understanding of mechanics yeah. right yeah and then that itself takes a while i, I kind of use the analogy quite a lot of if you um you know if you went on to a university course you know you started at university you don't go to a, a lecture you know one on the first day and expect to know everything and i think that's kind of the thing that you know coaches and personal trainers in the industry like generally speaking we're kind of a, a demographic or a population of people that well quite a lot of us um do not value education so much and that's kind of potentially why they got into this thing because it's a very you know should be on paper a physical based job they kind of don't have to think too much they're dealing with people and there's all those aspects to it but there's obviously so much to learn about what we're actually doing especially when you know there's a high potential for problems to occur when you train someone badly or advise them nutritionally badly you know you, you literally have their physical well-being in your hands yeah, and, and you, you know, the contact time is so so damn high relative to you know front you know frontline health um, you know, medical professionals and things like that. So it's like we, you know we have a we have a uh, kind of a big responsibility on our hands. Um, and I think yeah, so it's kind of communicate. You're trying to get people who potentially don't value education to value education, um, and um, and get uh, you know and then find ways to communicate it to them that are kind of engaging but also kind of helps to make them realize that like i said you know you go to a university you don't expect to know everything after the first um first lecture you kind of go well bloody hell this might be complicated but good thing i've got three or four years to master it um and it's the same thing when you get into things like exercise mechanics you're not going to do a weekend course and then go oh yeah like i've got it it's done you know you're going to bloody hell and, and everyone that does you know we did a, a free uh like live education session we have these things on our site every week where we we do live education sessions with our members um yeah that, that, that was going to be the 
the next thing actually do, do you want to just touch on on what the educational portal and stuff is just for people yeah so it's basically what i've just talked about so it's just like a, essentially a hub of of educational content where we've produced lectures around these all these areas so we have kind of a structured um and they're all ongoing so they're, they're kind of we, we add to them weekly um and there's much they're kind of based in modules and there's assessments and stuff and so designed to kind of teach people this sort of stuff and, and you know it's challenging as kind of any kind of stuff would be but you know it's not um i'd like to say it's all kind of relevant useful information um but but like i say it, it will it will challenge people's beliefs and, and thought processes and and you know some of the you know if you're not particularly good at you know physics or maths and things like that it will take some time to kind of learn that stuff but that, and that's that's ultimately what it's about which is so it's a subscription-based website where we have that essential structure and then um and then on top of it we have like weekly live education sessions where we get to kind of interact and chat with members and we bring guests on once a month um so we've had i don't know if people are aware of um you know people in the exercise mechanics world but michael goulden who who owns integra he's come on a few times he's a mentor of mine um and then another mentor of mine shark taylor who came on and presented on neuroscience and then we've had amelia thompson come on and cover stuff on nutrition um and yeah, the integra um company they're, they're the ones that do the kind of uk rts yeah, uh, courses yeah. right so they're the like michael's the og of exercise mechanics in the in the uk he kind of taught all of us and most of the people that are into studying exercise mechanics who've gone through rts like they'll know who michael is he's an absolute wizard of that stuff um and then we've kind of taken our understanding of it and, and like i say applied it with a, a relatively heavy bias towards hypertrophy um so it's um so yeah like that is so the educational board is essentially that um you know hopefully the education that coaches never had but the one they absolutely need and it seems to be going pretty well um you know it seems to be pretty well received which is which is all we can hope for really yeah your um, your, your content's great man like, honestly i just not not to blow smoke up your ass but, but like it is yeah it's proper on point like if there any any coaches like listening or whatever like definitely go and check out uh the muscle mentors uh educational portal because yeah some amazing stuff on there man i appreciate it it's like coming back to that you know that analogy of if you do kind of venture down that route um and probably goes for any topic that you you've never really studied like commit to it for a relatively long period of time um you know don't do a month on the portal and expect to learn everything you know you'll probably have to revisit the videos a couple of times to kind of truly extract all the information and i mentioned jacques taylor just now he has a really good analogy for learning of like you know people quite often you know if they feel they've done something they'll or they've covered something before they'll kind of skip it or they'll show less interest in it the second time around um you know for instance i've repeated um quite a few courses um myself I've, I've invested quite heavily in my education as a as a, a coach and um i've done rts like which is a group of you know it's three weekends um like very in-depth exploring exercise mechanics i've done that like five six times and it's not a cheap course but the point is like you pick up new things every time every new time you do it with new people there as well so that you get different perspectives on things and and jacques has this analogy of um you know where where you you know you'd be listening to the radio and your favorite song comes on you don't skip it you might you just listen to it again and you might take a, a different thing in you might just appreciate it again 
you might hear it in a different, you know, slightly different way, pick up a new thing in the lyrics. And that's, that's kind of a, an approach that he recommends to learning of, you know, if you've done something before, um, don't let that put you off from covering it again. Or if it does come up again, don't switch off, kind of try and listen again and try and you know, understand from a new perspective. Because if you've been studying other areas that link in, you'll probably find that you'll just have a slightly different understanding or something else will click where you'll be, you'll hear something that you've heard before and you'll go, Oh, I actually, and I've just been studying this other area. Now that makes a bit more sense to me. Um, so it's that whole kind of continued evolution of learning, which is, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and I think that's an approach that PTs, coaches, and anyone really should take um, um, if they're going to kind of embark on, in, you know, driving their education um, or driving their knowledge up, essentially. It's, yeah. it's really good. There's, there's nothing really um, to that kind of calibre available online to, to like UK coaches and stuff, you know? Yeah. Which was which was the 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 idea the gap in the market so to speak. yeah <laughs> um right man I'll, I'll tell you what I'll crack on with uh, some of these questions um so how could uh, someone listening easily ensure uh, that they're maximising uh, hypertrophy um, but not being in like a massive surplus so like they're not going to put on too much weight too quickly for example like quality mass the um. Well, it's the it's an interesting one because um, when we kind of break down what uh, well, I mean, I saw because what we're seeing nowadays is there's a kind of a big narrative around you know how we're training and and how we're setting up nutrition and you know not potentially being too excessive with the surplus. And I know the science confirms that like pretty much entirely. Um, so I'm not going to argue with that, but it's interesting when you, I think there was a pro bodybuilder the other day who shared a picture of Dawn Yates and he was like, do you really think this guy got this big from being like 200, you know, two to 300 calories in a surplus? And I was like, okay, that's You think he's the genetically and like, you know, Dorian Yates, no matter what he did, he was, he was destined to be that way. He also had certain compounds helping him out. Well, he um, trained, he trained with like super high intensity from the age of like 14 or something as well. Right. Even before he started messing with stuff, but yeah, and it was crazy that, you know, I think he, at points towards the end of his career, he was apparently training, you know, three times a week and each session was 40 minutes and that was enough. Um, but by that point, he probably built enough muscle. He was mostly maintaining it. But the um, that's like a obviously. Mike Mensah kind of uh, approach as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, you look at someone like him, and you're like, okay, like let's break that down. And like you know, I've you've been at our seminars and stuff, and when you break down hypertrophy for what it is, um, it is essentially a uh, a signaling dependent process um, in the sense of your your kind of a set your body's going to hear um it, well, in the sense of what we're doing when we train right is we're putting a signal in essentially for our our body to grow it's like um essentially you know whether it's sounding a klaxon or something like that and depending on the state of all the other systems involved or you know the amount of information we've got or you know percent you know whatever it is our, our, our how new we are to training um that signal is going to be heard you know it's going to it's going to influence how well that signal's heard and then 
this, the processes that occur off the back of that signal coming in are kind of going to do what they need to do a bit more effectively, or, or maybe they won't be as ineffective, or maybe they'd be ineffective. But the like the role of an energy surplus is debatable because they've shown quite often that you know when people have a higher protein intake, resistance training alone um, was enough to kind of allow them to grow muscle, um, you know, induce skeletal muscle hypertrophy. Um, and that was without a presence of, of an energy surplus. So being in a, a calorie surplus, if people know that terminology. Um, but the only problem with that is, you know, you have um, that most of that research was conducted in, in untrained individuals or people that use, um, you know, Super, you know essentially super physiological amounts of it or how, it's people that use anabolic steroids basically and there's some very, very interesting research that kind of confirms how how important those signals are um by a person called basin spelled b-h-a-s-i-n um and they um they they essentially had a group that and they had four groups and it was a group that trained and a group that didn't train like a sedentary group. And then there was a group that trained and took steroids. And then there was a group that was sedentary and took steroids and the group that was sedentary and took steroids built more muscle than the group that trained and didn't take steroids. Point being, you know, that even that sedentary group, when they manipulated the hormones on that level, um, the signal was still getting, able to get those signals to the right places. Yeah. So it's um you know we know and that had nothing to do with energy surplus that was just like okay let's 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 manipulate the guys that are ultimately in charge of sending this signal in and see what happens here. Um, can you can you imagine that just sitting down and gaining mass? Uh, that's, yeah, that's 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 you know for a lot of people, but then you know that that's the thing of when you put those sorts of things in a genetic elite, you know, individual like uh, Dorian Yates um, who you know, is probably set up so that when, you know, on a genetic level, so that whenever he in, you know, puts food in him, it's more likely to go into getting him to build tissue than it is to get, like build muscle tissue than it is to going into fat tissue. It's just like, there's all those things we, we have to account for in terms of the, even like the inner machinery within his, um, within his muscle cells that are just, you know, maybe he's got more abundant, um, you know a greater abundance of all the little guys that go into driving muscle growth and there's like loads of little factories in in our uh um muscle cells called like ribosomes and they kind of drive that whole muscle protein synthesis thing and and there's they've shown that individuals with a higher you know capacity or greater capacity to build muscle seem to have way more of those guys than others and that kind of explains quite a lot and that's probably what we're looking at on some level with with Dorian and people of his of his caliber, but the um, but we also see like in trained individuals, um, you know, obviously an energy surplus is is necessary but not entirely sufficient. Um, like you couldn't give someone an energy surplus alone um, and get them and they would get jacked. They would put on put on potential body weight, but if the horm if the signal was coming in for them to build tissue through resistance training then they're probably not gonna um not gonna build any muscle right so it's um so we know that the signal is such an important thing so in terms of um and obviously the energy and, and when we look at what an energy surplus does this is stuff we went through i remember in the in the theory seminar that you were in i think um you know we, we kind of look at 
what does it achieve from a hormonal perspective and it basically will drive up all the guys that and are kind of or the, the if we break and there's more than just these three guys really but if we break down the you know three anabolic hormone and factors like insulin igf1 so insulin like growth factor and testosterone all these guys in some you know pretty potent manners will contribute to muscle growth when you're in an energy surplus and there's more energy availability your body will push those guys up and obviously there's a point of diminishing returns especially with insulin but when we're in an energy deficit all those guys will reduce um so it's kind of this that seems to be potentially the mechanism where an energy surplus is useful but again could being at main instance achieve that potentially um especially but what you know if we break those guys down and then you know you think one of those three was testosterone and you could be an energy deficit and put a super physiological amount of testosterone in and you probably influence that especially how it interplays with all the other things but the um which is where those um steroids are so magical for some people but equally very dangerous <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, you have to make yeah. sure that you get professional help <laughs> if you ever um, if you ever do do that like from no, a doctor I, no way advocating their use i think it's just like that you know we know they work and that's pretend that's essentially a very basic way of how um the um but the yeah if an energy surplus alone was was sufficient i remember saying something along these lines in the seminar you'd have an epidemic of of ronnie coleman's and phil heath's and not um not yeah Heath's yeah people. that was one of the slides came yeah. up yeah uh, the um, the, and it, you know it was, it was and that's you know when people say oh you know i need to be in a in a relatively small surplus um it's probably a smart thing to do because you basically are just kind of you you want to create that environment where um you are you've got those those you know the energy a sufficient surplus in place to ensure that you essentially your anabolic um the, the environment in your body is kind of edging more towards an anabolic one than a catabolic one. Um, and and then not, not, not to the point where you might be like, um, yeah. like spilling over with energy and then yeah. your body has yeah. to, has to store yeah. everything. And that's where like, the point of diminishing returns with insulin of like, if you, you know, we know that that can, it's not going to make you fat, um, but in the, in the presence of a high amount, you know, an excessive amount of energy and, inflammation and all this other stuff is not the best thing to have around all the time and you know it will potentially start you know impacting or increasing your the ability of you to you know you're decreasing your ability to make progress towards building muscle um but the yeah and, and then and then it comes back to understanding what goes into that signal um and it comes down to making sure your training is so you want to kind of establish a relatively safe surplus um and if at all, if you're kind of new to training, you might be able to stick yourself around maintenance um, and not really, not really have to worry about gaining too much body fat in those early days. And that's where we see a lot of people, they just kind of hold scale weight and dramatically change how they look um, because the, the, the signal that's coming in is so novel, you know, that they've never trained before and their body's like, bloody hell, like we need to adapt to this very quickly. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, the energy coming in and, you know, the energy stores in the body, they'll be like, well, probably, yeah, I'll just drive a lot of this towards trying to adapt to, over, you know, overcome this or increase my amount of muscle tissue so I can kind of be better at what this guy's asking me to do now. Um, the, um, and um, yeah, so, and, and, and that's where it comes down to being very good at training because you've got to understand that whole signaling process and getting things like sleeping good check because we know 
you know, if your sleep's out of whack, it's going to massively affect all those things like insulin sensitivity. It's going to drop levels of testosterone through the floor. Um, it's going to increase oxidative stress, which we know is very linked to kind of nasty things and just also making cells kind of unresponsive to insulin in general. Um, and therefore, would, would sleep have any effect on um, the those hunger hormones, the ghrelin and oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the um, the and and that's the potentially the main mechanism that sleep could impact someone's ability. And that, I, you know, like it was sleep deprivation in any sense would impact some someone's ability, whether they're gaining, trying to gain muscle or lose body fat. And we've seen the research on that. Um, there's quite a lot. Um, which we could we could delve into in the future at some point, but the and I have on on the site and I'm, I'm due to do presentations on that. But the for those that want to see a bit more of the research on it, but we know that if someone deprives themselves of sleep, um, and I think in the, there was a study where they went it was from just around seven and a half hours to like five hours, five and a half hours, something like that, and they put them in a calorie deficit, and the group that was sleep deprived lost like fifty five percent less body fat. Um, than the other group despite losing the same amount of weight um so it's kind of all this stuff where they were like oh like they lost the same weight but there was a lot less fat loss there um which was quite interesting Um, 55 percent is a large that's a large percentage difference in those test subjects oh yeah yeah it it was pretty big um and there was some flaws with that study um which i kind of i remember going through um but the you know it was it was very quite and then but people you know people have done stuff off the back of it where it's like okay yeah it, it does seem to have a link there and again it potentially comes back to the the hormonal disruption that occurs off the back of sleep but also um things like uh, its effect on our hunger hormones so leptin which is obviously the the hormone is kind of like arguably a, a cytokine which is a a a kind of immune molecule rather than a hormone but because it, it has this kind of funky role within the immune system as well and then ghrelin so ghrelin's our hunger guy. So as that guy drives up, um, we'll get more hungry. And as leptin goes up on the on the other side of the seesaw, we'll tend to become more satiated. And they do kind of work on the seesaw. So we're eating typically, you know, if we're in a period where we're super, super hungry, um, we'd typically have seen like leptin will have dropped um, and ghrelin will have increased. And together they'll kind of increase your repetitive desire for that food and then also make you pretty damn hungry for it because obviously appetite and hunger are slightly different things and then you know provided that meal hits the spot we'd likely see leptin levels drop uh increase again so we'd become more satiated that would kind of bind to all these receptors and go yeah i think you've, you, you're you done here mate and then um ghrelin and ghrelin would drop back down and we'd lose that hunger signal um so we'd, there'd be less, you know, we'd have that less of a kind of base desire to eat. Um, and uh, and sleep disrupts that massively. Um, and we see much lower levels of leptin and much higher levels of, of ghrelin than what we'd normally see. So people become far less satiated with what they're eating and they're generally hungry a lot more, hungry a lot more of the time. Um, which in relation to, you know, again, you know, if you're trying to control an energy surplus or trying to go through a calorie deficit, that's going to, those are going to be two massive factors in, in affecting how well you stick to that, um, stick to that plan. Um, so for people that are, that's why we teach about it, you know, there's some direct ways it will help, um, it, it will help or, or negatively impact efforts towards building muscle, losing fat. And then there's some kind of indirect ones by how, how badly it affects appetite. 
and hunger levels that will make it very hard for someone to kind of um, adhere to a diet. We know adherence is essentially the number one factor in most of these things. Um, so and, to not, and to not overeat, overeat as well, right? Yeah. Um, so it's um, so it's yeah. It's and it's an, and and again, like you know, we come back to kind of ensuring that whilst you're in that energy surplus, all the signals are kind of coming in in the right ways. If we deprive someone of sleep and we make cells essentially less receptive to most signals in the body um it's going to make it harder potentially to build build muscle so we got to so it's sleep is a smart thing to manage and it obviously relates to i mean i don't think there's ever been research on it but and again this is a mechanistic hypothesis so take it with a pinch of salt but logically sleep and the degree to which you're in an energy surplus would probably go hand in hand like if someone was sleep deprived they'd probably be able to tolerate well they would yeah they'd probably have a lower tolerance for an energy surplus in terms of the minute you start pushing them into one in a sleep deprived state the more bad things would happen than good things if their sleep was on point so i think if you're going to start pushing people into energy surpluses within your coaching practice um then make sure that you're kind of putting things in place to get their sleep bang on. Yeah. And then and then also make sure that they're sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. um, That's going to be the main thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, while, while we're touching on uh, like, you know, being satiated and, and everything like that, what, what do you think the a common mistake that, that uh, people do when they're trying to reduce body fat is? Um, because one that I see quite a lot is that people don't eat foods which are more satiating for them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some interesting ones. That that's definitely a something that people can do. The, the <laughs> it's something that I think people don't necessarily factor in. And again, this is like another mechanistic hypothesis based on studying the gastrointestinal system, which I, I I've done a fair bit on. And then also just myself and with clients and where people opt for foods with a much higher, um, higher food volume. So to, to kind of drive that satiation process, so foods that will take up more space in their stomach and, and all these things like our stomach relies on. So when food goes into our stomach, there's stretch receptors in there that as that stomach expands, those stretch receptors will kind of undergo a stretch and they'll go, okay, this, this is increased in volume. I'll, send a signal up to say that actually i'm pretty good here and that will affect that whole hunger um an appetite process um like the signal sent there um and i think one something people do is they'll immediately go into a diet and they'll just swap to all these foods that are very high volume which is a is a good tactic and therefore like the the stretch that these receptors are undergoing is a lot greater um and then um what what I see happen is towards the end of diets, especially if you've had to then bring people's food down more. So if you're going into contest preps or, or photo shoot preps, or even if it's just a diet that's required you to reduce food, um, you know, relatively drastically, the if they've kind of started off with those sorts of foods, um, and then it gets to the point where they still have to reduce food. You know, they've still got it. they're on such low calories that they can't you can't start pushing foods with too high volume because they just don't have enough of it um it would uh they're potentially going to get more like it's going to be harder for them to be satiated because by that point their stomach's going to be like well damn it i was used to getting like a lot more of food in here so the signal that the, you know the stretch receptors that are within the stomach are kind of going to be like 
well, I'm not being as stretched as I was. So yeah, I could do with more food. And then they kind of get this potentially make you hungrier. So I was thinking, and it's something I've tried myself and something I've tried with some clients is where in those initial phases of someone's diet, they, they actually do try and stick to foods that are lower in volume, um, lower food volume. So that it will take up still less space. And then, um, and then towards the end of the diet, as calories start dropping, we then start switching them to high volume foods. And that seems to work quite well because it kind of reverses that process. So they start off and maybe they're a bit hungry at the beginning, but considering they've just potentially come out of a phase where food's been relatively abundant, um, it's less of an issue. And we know at that point as well, you know, hunger's not going to kill people. Is it's you know, it's, it's if anything, it's kind of a privilege to be able to choose when you're hungry and when you're not. Um, and um, and then when when it gets tough, tough, you uh, you go okay now now let's start bringing some of these foods that will you know fill you up a bit, and it it seems to work quite well. Um, and it I, I would I would like to think it's that mechanism that we're playing off there. Um, yeah. I'm quite a big advocate of uh, of uh, potatoes. <laughs> yeah well they showed that boiled white potatoes like the most satiating food there is by by a long shot as well yeah um but the um yeah so i'd say i'd say if people you know a yeah playing with food volume and not is potentially well like not playing with it at all is probably a mistake but if you do try it that way around and see how you fare because you know it's um it will make those last few weeks potentially more bearable um but yeah, another mistake I think is 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 not prioritizing sleep. Um, and is it, you know we we've seen like a demonstrable effect of what sleep can do to re- you know reduce your efficiency at losing body fat, um, and it, it's pretty profound. Um, and I think people going through fat loss phases and not having a a decent you know routine um, you know around the focused around their sleep and just poor sleep hygiene in general. Um, I think. Um, I think that's a massive error on a lot of people's parts, which is why we push it so much. Um, so having consistent bed, you know, bedtime, consistent wake time, trying to, um, you know, address the sleep environment. If you're sleeping in a room with light, trying to just address those minor things. And that's the way I'd start it. There's a lot of things you can do with sleep that kind of go a bit overboard and overwhelm people, but just making those small changes that, we'll see a big return on investment. Um, and like, you know, in the, you know, maybe the half an hour to an hour before bed, you try and reduce screens and read a book or something like that and um, get more daylight during the day. We know that helps a lot with sleep because of even, how... Even something as simple as just popping on some blue blocking glasses, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, when you... Because again, I like to watch TV before I go to bed. Um, like not right before I go to bed, but, the, but you know... It's, it's kind of a, a part of culture now that people do that and to kind of pull that away from someone is quite hard. So again, just putting interventions in to make that less of a problem and that's, you know, blue light blocking glasses seems to be pretty good. So those sorts of things, um, I think sleep, um, sleep's probably an area, yeah, probably the number one area that I think people completely undervalue when it comes to fat loss. And um, I, I know that you're a big advocate of uh, mastication. <laughs> <laughs> so um why 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 should we emphasize mastication obviously we you know we went through this on on the seminar and stuff but um for people listening why why is it important to have an emphasize in the amount and time that you spend chewing 
Yeah, so I was going to say, for those that aren't aware of what it is, mastication. <laughs> the, um, Not to be confused with something that sounds similar. <laughs> yeah. The, um, I mean, the, the, the ultimate mechanism behind chewing is, is simply to increase surface area of the food that we eat. Um, you know, so and, and when we consider the, the surface area of the entire gastrointestinal system, if you were to kind of lay, lay it out from, from, uh, from start to finish, um, would be about the size of a, a regulation tennis court. So the whole, you know, the, the gastrointestinal system is built on surface area into, and, um, and the, the more, you know, cause there's, a, there's basically a big, big surface within there that will, the, the, is kind of rife with enzymes and and these little kind of these thing called the brush border and they're all there everything's there to essentially break down the food we're eating and the smaller we can make the food that goes in the easier it is for those processes to work because they're themselves very small so if we're kind of chewing stuff like two three times and swallowing it um there's a lot of work for those things to do and and it can can hurt them to a degree kind of wear them down and when we start doing that we start seeing issues um so like increasing surface area for one um you know digestion technically starts in the brain because we, we kind of kick starting those processes when we see food but the, the, the kind of mechanical process starts in the mouth like whether it's chewing it but there's also a lot of enzymes in the mouth that start breaking food that we're eating down um and um and chewing is obviously like first thing we can do to make that process easier for everything downstream of that um and um the and and then it comes down to like from a from a uh like a i suppose like a hormonal perspective there's a um there's some pretty cool things that get released when we chew um so there's um and and chewing is you know we talked about satiation um within diets and stuff chewing food more has been shown to be uh um not like not only effective on on nutrient absorption but on um satiation and it seems to be via this cool um mechanism called or this cool hormone called glp1 which is glucagon like peptide peptide one um and it does some pretty cool things um like directly decreases appetite increases satiety um decreases the rate of gastric emptying which is the weight of food leaves our stomach so it kind of slows down the whole digestive process to ensure that like our small intestine isn't overwhelmed increases insulin production um and then decreases glucagon production um which are like these you know seesaw you know essentially insulin on a very basic level is the guy that's in charge of getting glucose out of bloodstream and glucagon will kind of drive it up a bit and, and it's um so it kind of manages that, which is pretty cool. Um, in uh, in it, it does some cool stuff around the liver in terms of like reducing insulin resistance within the liver itself, but also within muscle tissue and reducing like fat buildup around the liver and inflammation. And it is very good for endothelial function. And it will decrease blood pressure and um, glucose levels in the blood and fat levels within the blood. It's it's a pretty magical hormone um which and and chewing seems to um massively impact how that guy comes about and how much of it was released um i think they did a they did a study which again i remember talking about in the uh the theory where they um 
they met, they compared people chewing 15 times versus 40 times. Um, and the ghrelin levels after 40 chews were a lot lower. So people were way less hungrier, like significantly. Um, whenever you see the word significant in research, it means, okay, there's a notable difference here that we should probably pay attention to. So like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a difference, but it wasn't significant. Then it's probably like negligible, but... Barely, barely worth mentioning. Yeah, significant enough for them to be like, okay, like this, this seems to work. Um, and GLP-1 and then some other hormones and stuff um, significantly jacked up when people chewed uh, 40, 40 times versus 15. And it, like people would be like, 40 chews? Like, you're kidding me. Um, like there's studies where they've done it with 30, um, 25 to 30. But generally speaking, you know, if you're, you, people should just pay attention to how much they're chewing now and you'll probably find you're chewing things like five times. And if you could push that to like 20, um, probably going to do a lot of good. And it might take a little bit of getting used to, but it's not going to make the food taste any worse. You know? does, does chewing gum have any effect on, on the well, GLP? I haven't looked into it. Um, the I, oh maybe I did look into it and I think the only thing I think they've used chewing gum for recovering gastrointestinal function after um, surgeries and stuff um, where people have been like comatose um, or like under anaesthetic I think there's something that there's some use for chewing gum in that it does seem to do something um, and again it could just be just the act of getting someone to chew. Um, because I was going to say because you're, you're you're starting that process, but then you're not you're not kind of feeding your 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 intestines as you just said before, right? So some people think it's a bad thing, but you know your body's smart; it won't. It's not going to just start like jacking up stomach acid and all this stuff if you put something in your mouth and be like, "Oh, I'm getting food." It's like it communicates unbelievably well and efficiently, so it knows exactly what's coming in when. And if you just start chewing, it's not going to like just default, but like, by default get everything else going it will kind of say oh you're chewing okay oh you're not sending stuff in okay no worries about that well because you if, if that was the case you'd have like babies left right and center with like an over amount of stomach acid right because they're just sitting there chewing on their hand and stuff the whole time yeah so it's um it, it, yeah i think people kind of make jumps on that sort of stuff and there's no evidence that chewing gum is detrimental so okay potentially, potentially it could be useful on that front um but again, like just chewing more when we eat. Um, it's one of the potential things of people having a lot of liquid calories that they miss out on, though, is they, they don't have any sort of... There's a very little mechanical breakdown required throughout their GI tracts and specifically within their mouth, so they kind of might not be as satiated from that stuff because they don't get the release of certain things in that whole process. Um, I guess as well in nature, it's quite hard to get like proper liquid calories. Yeah. yeah we've evolved to eat it right so yeah it's yeah it, it was it would be interesting to see what the effect of people having more and more liquid nutrition has on physiology over the next 100 200 years provided we're still around yeah <laughs> fingers crossed after this year bloody hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> um right probably something which you don't get often asked that you don't get asked often that's better um who's your who's your hero Hmm, that's a good question. Um, it's a, I, don't, I don't know if I have like one hero. I have people I look up to in every aspect, like my parents, um, my brother. It's my... So, so a good answer. We've had that, I think, twice out of like 15 people. Oh, really? That's yeah. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, within specific to the fitness industry, um, 
Michael Goulden, um, Jacques Taylor, um, uh, Skinny Gaz from Triage. He's a he's a, someone I look up to a lot. Same with Paddy. Both those guys are awesome. Paddy Farrell, um, and um, a friend of mine actually called uh, Paul Standall. He's quite an inspiring gentleman in terms of his ability to learn i've got a lot of people that are kind of i'm like yeah these are, these are cool people these are people i want to be like in some respect um and uh, and james james sutton cal like they're, you know they're they're both people i look up to immensely um like cal's work ethic is something like obscene um and uh, and james james too and also just the way he goes and conducts himself is awesome so yeah i mean all those those are all the people that i'd be like if i could kind of so you're you're just surrounded by all your heroes pretty much man. but that's the thing like they, i've kind of sought these people out and i'm like okay these people are cool um i want to be um, around these people yeah, yeah. And, and it's, um the i think that's you know yeah i mean they all have these cool qualities if you kind of blend them into one you're like okay that's like that's probably the master human right there um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i could probably add more to that as well but i think those are the people that jump out the most so i don't have one singular hero i just have a lot of people that have cool qualities about them that i look up to i think and you keep them close by which is something which i don't think anyone on the show has, has done yet oh, really? yeah, yeah it's really, it's really it's good someone i don't know um it would be uh obviously like the people that said their parents and stuff have them close by <laughs> Um, so I know that you're a movie guy. You yeah. like your movies. Um, I'm not going to ask you what your favourite movie is because I'm sure that you've got a whole array. But yeah. but what's the uh, what's like the the best movie that you've watched this year, for example? It's a very good point. A very good question. I mean, I, I watch quite a lot of films. Like the thing, like I've uh, it's a question I ask a lot of people when they come on our camps and we got oh, i asked this question after going on muscle nerds um with luke lehman and he uh he asked this question i was like oh, it's a good question to ask people which is you know what's your hobby and a load of people just don't have a hobby they're like oh the hobby's the, my, the gym and i might be working the gym and yeah like, you, you asked us uh, you asked yeah. all of us that at the seminar and yeah. everyone was like uh training <laughs> yeah. like having having something that's separate to your work is pretty cool so like films are probably in mind um I don't know, like the, the, my favourite film this year, I don't know. Um, favorite re film, realistically, like no one's gone to the cinema this year pretty much, have they? So, No. There's a, I mean, like I watched a film recently that I think people don't appreciate for how good it is, which I've watched it years ago, but V for Vendetta, which is also very apt. You know, very, like, that's an awesome film. Yeah, but that that's it. Like, I love films like that that kind of have quite a cool, cool message. Um, and you know, very well done, very cool scripts. Um, people, if they watched it now, they'd be like, "Oh my god, like, that seems so similar to what we're currently going through." Like, yeah, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> but the, um, the yeah, that that's a very good film. Um, and again, I just think that's when it came out, it was kind of beyond its time. It was just like it wasn't that long ago, but I think that around the time it came out, it was shortly after where there had been the. Um, the nine eleven um tragic like uh, tragedy um and like the, the given that there's like a, a essentially a slight terrorist theme within it i think it got kind of downplayed a bit throughout the media and people weren't quite as well it wasn't quite as well received but i think now 
it's kind of made it's kind of everyone's watched it again and they're like yeah this film's pretty amazing um so um that's probably one of the best comic book films i've ever seen actually i was going to ask you have you read the comic book no but i really want to now it's Um, meant to be really good yeah that and like like films like that and watchmen as well i think massively underplayed as a watchmen's a great film um did you watch the series yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, the series was really powerful as well. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing another one. Like, yeah, yeah. They? Yeah, they should do. No, they, I, I oh. read it. Hey, they pulled the plug on it. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. It's really upsetting. It was, on, it was on HBO Max, right? Yeah, and they set it up for the best second series, but it looks like the other day they've just gone, no, I don't think we're going to do one. Oh, that sucks. At least, uh, at least you've got Mandalorian for now, though. Um... Do you watch oh, Mandalorian? Yeah, I still haven't watched that. And any of it? No, because we haven't got Disney Plus, and I've been. I mean, it's bad. And I'm, I'm, I'm a like, I'm a Star Wars fan until the latest few films, and the last two films that they absolutely ruined it with. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been wanting to for a while, and I think we just never got around to getting Disney Plus because I'm kind of also like I want to get Disney Plus, and there's loads of stuff on there that I haven't already seen. Like it was just to stream. You've got uh, you got Wonder Vision coming out in January as well, so that that should be pretty cool. Um, but honestly, Mandalorian's like probably what like if not the best like Star Wars themed thing that, that I've ever seen. Um, Rocking the t-shirt, so it must be. That's probably yeah, this it. is welcome to the swole side. <laughs> um, but they they've got a series coming out with Obi Wan Kenobi as well, uh, done in exactly the same way as Mandalorian. Okay, cool. Well, I'm in. So that's yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. You should get it, man. Marvel, Marvel, and Star Wars subscription is yeah. how to think about it. Yeah, I mean, my probably like on on those sorts of themes, like the Lord of the Rings. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, as some people that follow me will be aware. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of them. They're amazing films. They're films that I could watch like any time, um, and be like, they're just incredible. Um, yeah. When I first started dating my my girlfriend, uh, we watched all of the extended ones because she'd never seen them. So I force fed her one a day, three days in a row of, you know, the three and a half hour ones. Yeah, well played. Well played. Yeah. It's got to be done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah. Takeaway from this podcast is watch Viva Vendetta and, uh, and Mandalorian and Lord of the Rings, pretty much. Yeah, standard. <laughs> um, so after coming to your seminar, I saved up some cash, got myself an aura ring. I think yeah. that they're great. Um, what was your sleep score today? And and would you recommend a ring to someone in the general population? Yeah, I would recommend them if or if that's something you feel you want to see um, in terms of like tracking that data. It can be really useful. Like I, my sleep score today. Um, I have no idea what it was because I don't track it using the ring anymore. Um, like anymore currently, I'll probably do it again at some point. I'll still wear one or two. <laughs> um, the um, but the yeah, I basically I think it'd be, it started playing up, and then I got a replacement. And then I, in the time that they sent the replacement, I was like, actually, it's quite nice not being told 
what my sleep was like. I can and just paying attention to how I'm feeling a bit more. And that's something I use with clients a lot. It's like paying attention to the subjective feedback of the body. Cause a lot of times people, and I have clients still that will message me and go, Oh, my sleep was terrible. Like aura has given me a like 60 out of, you know, 60%. And I'm like, well, how do you feel? And they're like, I feel pretty great. And I'm like, are you going to let an app dictate how you feel? And I'm like, okay, if that, I, I like it, if it occurs acutely like transiently i'm like okay let's go off how your body's feeling and then if it was like because we know there's mechanisms in place that you know your body can make you feel better than than you actually are in terms of it would just kick up a bit more you know stress hormones or you know glucocorticoids whatever it is and kind of make you feel like you're on top of the world and that might not actually be the case um but the yeah like people quite often it's like people measuring hrv and they're like oh my god my hrv is through the floor and it's now so i should have a rest day and i'm like well how do you feel and like i feel great and i'm like well probably train that like if you know if it, if that becomes a trend over the next week that we see sleep suddenly permanently gone crap on aura and you're starting to now feel that way yourself and hrv is tanked um then yeah and like for quite a few days we'll, we'll pay attention um but like, and, and that will become a thing like you, you might tell them initially, you know, if it's the first time it's happened, you might go, okay, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of just go on how your body's feeling. And then if it becomes a trend and then they, they do deteriorate, it probably would have been wise to listen in that first instance, but then that becomes a thing of you then back off. And then the next time around and their sleep tanks on that first day, you go, okay, well, based on what we saw last time, we might pull back here because last time you did deteriorate but i have clients that will just have one off bad sleeps and i'll let that affect them massively mentally throughout the rest of the day and i'm like you know because their app has told them that oh yeah you slept terribly you should take it easy and they're like yeah but i feel good you know there's that kind of like conflict so i would uh i like the subjective feedback so that's kind of what i've been going off um and like, even, 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 even though the rings are really accurate they're not they're not a hundred percent accurate are they so no and they're they're I think they've done a study where they compared it to a polysomnography, um, you know, polysomnography data, which is the data they'd use in sleep labs where they would, you know, essentially have all these different, um, uh, you'd have all the nodes attached to you and stuff, yeah, you'd have stuff on your head, stuff like measuring eye movement, stuff measuring, and then you'd have stuff measuring, uh, like muscle activity. Um, and they, so they'd be looking at brain waves, um, ocular movement and, and uh, essentially muscle, you know, muscle activity, EMG. And um, the, the aura ring kind of ranks up pretty much identically to what they see with that. Based on that study, they kind of got a graph that looked very, very similar minus a couple of intricate measurements where then obviously the polysomnography kind of trumped it a bit. But in terms of gen pop tracking, it seems to be the most effective one you could get. Um, but then equally, I wouldn't get one I would probably get one. I'd get one if you're prepared to read about what that data means. Because if people then just get it and they're like, oh, well, I don't know really what I'm looking at here. I'd get it. And and, and to be fair, Aura do a relatively good job at kind of just educating you on the basics themselves. Um, but yeah. But, but it definitely, it's not, not something that you can just buy and expect the app to do everything for you. You need yeah. to have a better understanding of what it all means. Yeah, and I think, and and some people say like, oh, I'm bought an aura ring. My sleep's now going to be awesome, and I'm like, well, it's not going to make you sleep. It's just going to measure what your sleep's like. But then I think indirectly, some people will buy an aura ring, and then start taking their sleep more seriously, because they're like, I just dropped like what 200 
300 euros on an oil ring. So I'll probably start taking my sleep more seriously. Because uh, <laughs> now, uh, now that I've actually invested in it, it's more yeah. important to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, I think, yeah, I think there's probably that side of it. But yeah, like it's not going to do anything magic in and of itself. It still comes down to, still comes down to you. Yeah. yeah. So go out and get yourself an oil ring. Do you have a code? Have they given you an affiliate code or I anything? Didn't. I think we, we, I don't think we've ever kind of reached out. Probably should because we've probably been responsible for. I was going to say you probably made their sales go up massively. No, I don't think there's probably. Like, <laughs> the, um, but again, we probably yeah a few. A few. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a bit of a fun question for you now, man. And you know, I I've got my own thoughts on this, but I'd like to hear yours. Uh, you, James, and Callum competing in the Titan Games. You know the Dwayne Johnson uh, version of gladiators, basically. Who wins? Who's going to win? That last, you know, the last bit that they do, it's like up, up Mount Olympus. Yeah. Uh, me every time, mate. You. Every time. <laughs> 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 to be fair, though, I actually wouldn't, because I'm, I mean, James used to play basketball, but I know his knees are shot, so he wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be that springy now. Cal would probably just struggle to walk. And <laughs> 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 um, and I still play tennis and, and can quite easily run, so I reckon I'd, I'd be able to You reckon to you'd it. smash it? Okay. I reckon I'd take it. Because yeah. Callum, Callum's quite a big chap, right? And like the, kind, yeah, of yeah. Big, the yeah. kind of bigger chaps, which I've seen go on those shows, struggle with those uh, yeah. the rolling log things. I mean, I'd struggle 100%, but I reckon it, where the course would take me an hour, it would take, uh, take James and Cal considerably longer. <laughs> well if if i ever end up getting them on the podcast i'll make sure that i ask them that question as well i, I reckon yeah my the the tech because i used to play tennis before i was into um like bodybuilding and now and i still play tennis to relatively high level so i uh and i can surprisingly move better now than i could when i was an actual tennis player so um I'm assuming so yeah because you put a bit more care into like mobility and well I think it's just generally being stronger because like you know and that's another topic we get into like what's the main how do you increase mobility and it seems to be through resistance training more than anything else and do a lot of that seems to work all right um and I'm faster which is quite funny despite weighing a lot more but I think again that comes from speed power output um so it's um but yeah so it's uh I reckon that would be an we should set that up we should set that up yeah, we'd have to probably go to like. I uh, get, get Dwayne on the podcast and then uh, and set it up. <laughs> I've got three guys that um, that want to go on. They the Titan really want to go on Titan Games. <laughs> Hook you guys up. <laughs> um, have you ever have you ever run a a program with a client that's that's done something uh, that you don't expect? Yeah, I mean, like this, the most things on that is you know I've done things where you know i've got a few clients where their body just doesn't seem to respond at all to the standard uh um you know like basic laws of thermodynamics so you know calories in calories out which you know your energy balance you're like oh yeah this should be a deficit and they're like nope they're gaining weight what the hell and you're like you know it's, it's all those standard things where and like but to the point where you're like okay what is actually going on here because you know, you should be losing weight. I know, and like these are clients that are genuinely adherent. Like I know them very well, and I'm like, and it's just, but it's just where 
understanding working with them all like the, the there was a one guy where it was just very obvious that it just his body is so susceptible to stress that as soon as you create any sort of stress in him he'll he'll but his body would just kind of offset any kind of weight loss with just a shitload of water retention engaged so he would actually be losing body fat we just wouldn't see it until we went oh let's sack this off and put food back up and then his body would go oh i can get rid of some of this water now and you're like oh he did get leaner and he lost some weight but we didn't see it so you have to kind of do it in phases with him so it's like um and that's like the things of like you see it, i think you see it quite a lot it's just those minor things where you're like uh you know this should uh this should work based on what i've seen in myself and other clients be like okay well this guy's built differently so i'll just go back um but yeah, that's probably as exciting as that one gets. You, you do see that quite a lot. Like, um, you know, if you have like certain transformation photos or whatever, like quite a lot of people um, in those photos look quite flat mm. and they, they don't necessarily fill out well. So I'm, I'm assuming that that client that you're talking about there, as soon as you give him food, he looks full and gets leaner, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, essentially, just drop, you start using food as a stress management tool, like giving the body more more energy and it goes oh i'm not so stressed now i've got i can actually do something and then it will just rid itself of some of that fluid and you're like oh, okay yeah you did lose one um ah, lucky yeah. guy in, in a sense <laughs> oh, but then at the same time it's just annoying when you're like when you're actually... progress but let's find out in two weeks <laughs> and you're doing everything right but then nothing right is happening until you do the opposite of what you think is yeah, right it's, 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 like for him because he He'll, he'll, he gets quite down about it because he'll put like the graft like the guy knows how to work and then he but now he's prepared every time we do that it's kind of like and i've been working with him for like two years now but you know initially we'd be like putting all this effort in and it actually doesn't seem to be giving us much return which kind of sucks um mm. you know and, and then it kind of became a thing of oh, okay no we, we just gotta deal with his body there damn how it is. um I just got a couple more questions for you, mate, and then I'll let you go about your day. Um, so you got a hundred million pounds to spend on health tech or gym equipment. What stuff or brands are you going to end up getting? Hundred million, mate. I would. Uh, it's a lot of cash. <laughs> yeah, every brand in the world. Um, I'd just have it in a warehouse, and then I'd be able to just compare and analyze every machine. But, <laughs> and then when, pick pick and choose once you've got everything. Yeah, and then just sell the like, like flog the other stuff on eBay and make my money back. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, the, I think it'd be quite cool, like because that's sort of stuff we go through on our practical camps. Is we'll kind of analyze machines, and you know that's coming back to the exercise mechanic stuff. Of like, where's that machine getting harder? Where's it getting easier? How it, how is it built structurally? How like how easy is it to fit someone in this thing? Um, what are the considerations we need to make? The you know tempo based on. The mechanisms and the cables and all this stuff and you know if you had like every piece in the world you could be like okay let's see what they've done and let's and you could just learn something from every bit i reckon so like, that one there's that one there's that one okay this one fucked up a bit this one's done something really cool this one's only good if you use it in this particular way which would be like the case with like prime for instance like there's only like two one or two ways you can use those pieces if you truly understand that stuff i was going to say and most most people don't know what they're doing when they're setting yeah. it up um and it, but it's also to do like you know it's plate loaded a lot of that stuff and you know, it's, you know there's all this other these factors that you have to you know, bring into the equation that make moving fast on those relatively dangerous um, yeah 
from, from a joint perspective you know rotational inertia and all this stuff but we don't need to get into that but the um but yeah oh yeah the yeah i'd probably just get everything I just get everything um have you ever have you ever heard of a, a a gym company called I think it's a three five one, right. something like that. So um, the gym that uh, they used to work up in Highgate, they were going to be like the the plug, the UK plug for the Swedish machines, which essentially were selling themselves as uh, that you train once a week for mm-hmm. for twenty minutes. You do one set on each bit of this machine but each set is until like absolute failure and the idea is that it's kind of like that mike mentor uh intensity training principle but it's if you imagine a normal weight stack just goes straight up and down this one when you're doing the uh concentric the weight stack's actually tilted like that the whole stack is tilted so the weights go up and down this way but then when you're about to start the eccentric contraction the weight stack flips so that you're left, you're left with the load. It's about thirty percent more weight. So essentially, it loads your muscles in the eccentric uh, portion of the movement a hell of a lot more. Um, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, if it's, I mean, like, it's, you know, it, it was a, it was a cool concept. You'll be able to calculate the degree if you, if they if you know the degrees that they flip the weight stack to on the concentric. You'd be able to know how much because if it was. Yeah, if it, if it was a forty-five degree angle, you'd be lifting seventy-one percent of the load on the concentric, and then you'd get that thirty percent back, twenty-nine percent. Yeah, that it was, was a cool concept, but the, the 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 way that they tried to flog it was um, that you you only used it in the way that that they wanted you to use it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah which sounds quite interesting to us. So it's just three, five, one. Yeah. So the the idea is that. Oh yeah, and so every single rep has to be done with a specific tempo as well, which is uh, it, technically it's five zero one three, no five zero three one, um, but then they've they've changed it into three five one rather than actually how tempo is written. Okay, so three second concentric, five second eccentric. So yeah, yeah, yeah interesting, interesting that is stuff i'll say yeah. I'll, I'll send you a link to them after yeah that'd be cool i'll check that out that would be an interesting one um this is probably my favorite question to ask everyone who comes on the show just because um I'm a, I'm a fat kid inside really um <laughs> so um what what would you pick for your last meal you're on your way to the electric chair yeah but that's the, the con i think the thing about this question i've always had it is literally it's like if you knew you were going to die, I reckon you wouldn't have much of an appetite. But I'm going to absolutely chow down. You'd be like, you're about to die. You wouldn't be able to eat. Um, yeah, yeah. I, said, I said that in a previous episode. So I'd be so stressed, I wouldn't be able to eat. If you could eat, it'd be because you're an absolute sociopath. And you just, you know, it's okay. Um, you don't have any empathy at all. I'll tell you what then. What's your, what's your favorite, like, treat or cheat I, meal? No, 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 no. I'll go to the last meal. Like, I, I think okay, I'll, cool. you wait. I think if you just didn't know you were going to die, you were just like, I'm just going to have a meal, and then something could happen. Like, I just don't want to happen. Um, <laughs> um, uh, the, I think we did a food food cast with um, on our podcast with um, 
Amelia Thompson, me and Cal, and then Amelia Thompson and Mike Bannon, we kind of had this question on there. And I think mine was, I think I said, so there's this, I think I really like, I mean, mine would be really big. Um, I think I'd have like Peking duck pancakes because I love those. Mm. Um, but the hoisin like, sauce, is that the ones that you're talking about? Absolutely. Um, yeah. The, Probably a rack of ribs, but it seems like I'd like probably eat one and then I'd be like, oh no, I'm not that hungry for the other. <laughs> it's like a rack of ribs. Like these are things I like a good old rack of ribs. The there's we go out to France and there's this amazing um like crepe pancake thing that we have out there, which is like Nutella and the biscuit version of Biscoff, so like Speculus biscuit, whatever they call it. Oh yeah, Speculus. Um Salt caramel ice cream and some whipped cream. I mean, that is unbelievable. It sounds relatively simple, but like every time I eat it, I'm like, it's the best thing I've ever had. Um, and then, uh, yeah, pro- I have this thing where I put like frozen blueberries and I cut up some dark, like 85, 90% dark chocolate and just sprinkle it on. And there's something about that that probably be, I'll probably put that in there as well. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, that's, that's probably really random people are like what um, yeah that does sound pretty random <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, and uh, yeah probably stuff like that probably those four slash a good steak and then um, with with probably a peppercorn sauce and then um, and then there's another dish from France actually up in the if anyone listening has ever been to the Alps there's a thing called a tartiflette which is a it's like a, a dish and they just put like potatoes shitload of cheese onions bacon bits and then they just like gr- like broil it so like so it's like crispy on the top mm. you just smash that with a with a french baguette and it's like probably one of the worst things you could put in your body from a health perspective i don't know actually it sounds amazing I mean, oh it's unbelievable but, yeah. the, but i'm thinking like if someone was like where's the protein i'd be like Cheese, <laughs> cheese and bacon, maybe. <laughs> not a lot, but the, um, yeah, it's a lot of carbs, fair amount of fat. Not that either of those are bad, but it's just um, if someone was like, "I want to be optimal," you probably wouldn't be smashing one of those every day. No. But they're pretty good. I'd probably lump that in there as well. I mean, that'd be a pretty big meal. Um, I guess. I guess if you're in the Alps, though, then you'd probably smash one of those and then just use like a fair bit of that energy going down the slopes all day. You know. Yeah, pretty much. And um, and yeah, I reckon if you get cow on, cow's answer to that will be granola. They'll be in there. I remember on the podcast. What, what his last meal will be granola. Yeah, he loves granola. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember on that food cast, they were like, cow, what would be your, I think that was his last meal. They were like, starter, main dessert. And he was like, granola, granola, granola. And I bet you it wouldn't, it wouldn't be like any of the super sugary ones like crunchy nut granola or anything like that. It would probably no, just be like... I've been, I've been having some of that recently. It's pretty good. Um, but I only have a little bit. You, but, can, uh, you can only have a little bit. It's, I, it's like 30, 30 grams is literally like that much. Yeah, that was just a portion. I and I was like, I'll have, you know, I'll have a bit. And then I put it in a bowl and I was like, is that it? And I was like, that's like 400 calories. So I was like... <laughs> I was like, if anyone's struggling for food, get granola because, like, in terms of tr- struggling to hit calories, because that that stuff is because you smash it. 
and and the thing is some people might 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 buy that and be like okay cool it's oats and cornflakes or whatever um it's it's got it's gonna it's got to be relatively healthy compared to like getting just john's crush crunchy nut but you'd have a bowl full of that realistically yeah i know i think with granola but i think the reason it's so dense is they'll coat it in uh, the the bits are like coated in oil or something oil and sugar i think they like literally there's like a little thin coating on them which is why they taste so good and like slash a bit more crunchy so that's where people like oh yeah it doesn't look like that much and you're like there's a lot in there trust me it's like um another simple one is uh you know honey roasted cashews oh my god like proper like triple honey roasted cashews you know it's got like like caramelized bits hanging off of the the nuts yeah like those are, are super dangerous because they've got oil on the outside of the nuts. Obviously, the nut has all, its own oil, and then it has all the honey as well done on it. <laughs> yeah, smash a bag of those easily. Um, yeah. Right, man. On that note, you've made me very hungry. Actually, your your last yeah. meal. Not many people have uh, have done that. <laughs> have done that just yet. Um, mate, honestly, thank you so much for uh, coming onto the podcast. Really pleasure. appreciate you uh, giving giving your time. No, thank you for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. As a as a fellow podcaster and someone who's had to build one up as well, I kind of I know the I know what it's like. So yeah, so it's a pleasure to help out. I appreciate that, man. I hope it does help out. Um, if anyone if anyone wants to visit uh, the Muscle Mentors page or Luke's page, um, and you're listening to the podcast and you follow me on Instagram, <laughs> there'll be a post with luke's face uh on <laughs> on the front and all of all of his accounts and stuff underneath so feel free to head over there and check him out it's definitely yeah. worth do, do you want to add anything else before well i so, no, if anyone wants to like yeah literally the, the portal is at www.themusclementors.co.uk um i don't know when's this going to be dropping um, uh probably about i think maybe six or seven days from now Okay, cool. So I won't, I won't plug the fact that we're doing a Black Friday sale today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, they'll miss out on that. <laughs> yeah, the, um, but no, so yeah, we will have done that. But yeah, that that's on, uh, but yeah, musclementors.co.uk, and then all of us on Instagram. If you type in just the Muscle Mentors, it will probably see myself, yeah. James, Cal, Alex, Ryan. And all it's just all our names underscore the muscle mentors. So Luke underscore cow underscore or cow. Yeah. Um but that's how you find us, yeah. And um yeah, thank you for thank you for having me, sir. Nice. Yeah, I'll put it I'll put it up on my stories as well today the, about the Black Friday. Uh so oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> all right, wicked. Thanks for coming on again, man. Cool, no worries, man. <laughs>